um, I think it's incredible that we have multi-talented musicians who can go like from singing to playing the saxophone without even thinking about it. Thank you, Tina and Chloe. That was really awesome. Um, I'm having high schoolers bring around just some little pieces of paper. They're going to pass out to you um, for something we're doing. You guys know when I preach, there's always something like this. Tammy's laughing. She's like, yeah, we were expecting this. So you can just hold on to them for now. I'm going to tell you what to do with them at the end of the sermon. But first, we're going to just get them handed out to you. Thank you, high schoolers, for being willing to do this for me on the fly. I appreciate it. Did everybody get one? Does anybody still need one? <laughs> okay, great. So, uh, as many of you know, I am in seminary again, and all of my classes, or the majority of my classes, take place in Nashville, because my seminary is located here in Kansas City, but my particular program is located at the extension site in Nashville, so it makes a lot of sense, but once a month, I get on a plane, or I get in my car for eight hours, and I drive myself to Nashville, and I have a weekend class that's Friday night and all day Saturday, and then I come home, and this past weekend was one of those classes, and so I was flying home from Nashville yesterday, and one of the things that I do when I'm on the plane on the way back is I just want to be comfortable. You know, planes are awkward and squishy, and people are stepping over you and walking down aisles. And so one of my favorite things to wear is um, this sweatshirt. It's my husband's sweatshirt. I like it because it is very roomy. You can see that I wore it yesterday because it's got some stains. We're just going to ignore those. Um, it's very roomy. It's very comfortable. It keeps me warm. It's one of my favorite things to wear. Um, but now here's the deal. I, I have a burning passion against Texas A&M. Um, I was trying to figure out the best way to say that. I grew up as a Texas Longhorn fan. Okay? We are enemies. This is not who I am. Um, there was this girl that I grew up with from fifth grade until we graduated, and she was an Aggie, an A&M person. And her parents were Aggies, and they had maroon all over their house. And every time the Aggies beat the Longhorns, she would call me and rub it in and make it awesome. And every time the Longhorns would win, she would tell me about how the refs missed so many calls. And it wasn't really the Aggies' fault, and they should have won. And she just made my life kind of miserable. And I did not like the Aggies. And my dad, who's also a Longhorns fan, was like, oh, all those Aggies, they're all like that. Every single one of them. That's just what they are. So it's not really a big deal to me because usually I pick comfort over the fact that I'm wearing a Texas A&M sweatshirt because I love this sweatshirt. However, on the plane yesterday, which is normally just from Kansas City to Nashville, I was flying southwest and my flight left Nashville, was going to hit Kansas City and then was going to go on to Dallas. And I was like, oh, there are going to be Texas people on this plane. And sure enough, there were four other people wearing some sort of Texas A&M paraphernalia. And in that moment, I had to stop and ask myself a question. Is comfort the most important thing right now? Do I, would I rather be comfortable 
or would I rather not be associated with the other Aggies that are on this plane? I didn't want them to stop to me and be like, oh, hey, A&M, yeah, I'll give them. Because I'm, mm -mm, no, we're not, we're just not doing that. And I, it really, it was a dilemma. Um, so what I ended up doing was, I kept the sweatshirt on, but I kept my arms folded as everybody was boarding the plane. So nobody could see that it said Texas A&M, and I just let them walk on by. Um, we're going to come back to this in just a second. And first, now, we're going to pray, and then we're going to read our scriptures together. Would you bow with me, please? Lord God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time that we have together um, as a community of believers. And I pray, Father, that you would bring peace in this room right now. Holy Spirit, that you would fill this place, that you would fill us up with your love and your goodness, that you would speak through me, that they would not be my words, but that they would be your words, and that we would all walk away from this place having experienced you through the music or through the sermon or just in the general aura and love of this community. Thank you for loving us and for everything you've done for us, Lord God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So today is the first Sunday of Lent. We had our Ash Wednesday service this past Wednesday, so we have six more Sundays until Easter. And our theme for Easter is God's expanding love to the world. Jessica Petty put this beautiful thing together, and I think it looks incredible. And I love the imagery of God's expanding love to the whole world. So what we're going to be doing for these next six weeks is we're going to be walking through some of Jesus' parables. And the parable that we're starting with today is from Luke chapter 10. I'm going to have the verses up here on the screen, or you can look it up in your own scripture. But it's commonly known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. It is one of the most well-known passages in scripture. So please don't automatically write me off because I just told you I'm going to retell you a story that you all already know. Okay? Stay with me. It's going to be great. Um, I actually don't really, um, I actually have some mixed feelings about the Good Samaritan. Not the story, not the parable, um, but the way we use the word. I feel like we either take this parable and we make it way too simplistic. Be nice to people. Be kind to your neighbor. Or we take this parable and we make it way too complicated and, and the theological people and the biblical scholars, they dissect it and try to figure out all these things and now it becomes this really deep thing. Like I feel like we need to find a healthy balance of how we understand the story. I'm not sure which side of that balance I'm going to fall on today. So y'all just stay with me and we'll figure it out. Let's read. It's going to be right up here. We're starting in verse 25. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life, he said. Jesus answered, what is written in the law? What do you read there? The lawyer replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put, them on his, then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, 
he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever you spend. Then Jesus looks back at the lawyer and he says, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who showed him mercy was the lawyer's reply. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. There are a few details about this story that we're going to need to understand in order to take it to the direction that I'm going to want to take it. One of the first things to know is that this parable only appears in the book of Luke. Um, usually our parables cross over and we can read a version in Matthew and another version in Mark or another version in John. This one is only in Luke, which I think is really fitting because one of Luke's themes overall is Jesus's humanity and God's love for the whole world, not just the Jews, but for the whole world. So it's fitting to me that this really interesting story about someone who is not a Jew would show up in this particular book. So let's talk about it really quickly. Um, the first thing that we need to note is Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This was known as the way of blood because it was such a dangerous, treacherous road. It was so well known for having robbers and thieves. Everybody knew the second Jesus said this, they would have known that's a dangerous path to be walking. And sometimes robbers would rob people or beat people up and leave them in the road and then lay back and wait for someone to come and try to help that person. And then they would go and accost that next person too. Sometimes it was a trap. So everybody knew that this was going to be a dangerous thing automatically starting out. And then Jesus says that as this man is lying in the road half dead, there was a priest that came by, there was a Levite came by. Now remember, Jesus is speaking to Jews and the priests and the Levite are both like the holiest of the Jews. The Jews already believed that they were the ones who had it right, that they were the ones who knew God better than anybody else knew God. And the, the priest and Levite would be like, um, you know, the pastor and the chaplain of the Christian world. Like they were the, supposed to be the holiest ones, but they were the ones who passed them by. And the second Jesus says this word, but a Samaritan walks up, the whole crowd, I imagine, just kind of bristled a little bit. Because Jews and Samaritans did not get along. The Jews believed that the Samaritans were um, unholy. They claimed to worship the same God, but they had different scriptures. And they had different places of worship. And they did things differently. The Samaritans were like the result of when Jews slept with non-Jews and then had the Samaritans. And so that made them unclean. So automatically, I mean, these were two groups of people who hated each other. There was no middle ground. There was no connection. So it's interesting that the holiest of the Jews in this parable passed the man by. But then the person who's considered unholy by the crowd that Jesus was talking to, that's the one who Jesus uses. That's the one who stops. And what all did this man do for him? He gave of his own supplies. He gave of his time. He gave of his energy. He gave of his money. He didn't just stop and go, oh man, hey, are you okay? Let's, let me call an ambulance. Like this man gave a significantly more than what we sometimes assume. It says he poured oil and wine on the man's wounds. That was the Samaritan's own oil and wine that he was probably using for something else. He put him on his own animal and he took him to an inn. Where was the Samaritan going? We don't know. How much further of a journey did he have? Did he have a deadline? I don't know. He gave his own supplies. 
He gave his own time. And then that entire rest of that day, he stopped and he took care of him. The next day, the Bible tells us, as he's continuing on his travels, he gives money to the innkeeper and says, you take care of him. But that first day, the Samaritan stayed with him, bandaged those wounds, took care of him before having to go on. And the Bible tells us that he gave two denarii. A denarii is about a day's wages. So I did some math for our modern time. I said, okay, if you make $15 an hour, which is more than a lot of people make, if you make $15 an hour and you work eight hours a day, the equivalent would be about $250. Gave him $250 and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever more you had to spend. This man was giving not just of a little bit of effort to get him out of harm's way. One of the definitions that I've heard of sin is a, is a turning in on yourself instead of a turning outward towards others and turning outward toward God. And I feel like this Samaritan man in this parable in every possible way turned outward. He was on a dangerous road. He could have thought this is a trap. He could have thought if I linger here, they're going to come get me. So he gave of his safety he gave of his provisions. He wasn't thinking about his own needs or his own time frame or his own energy or his own efforts. Or maybe he was, but he had determined that something else was more important. Yes, I know I don't have time for this. However, taking care of this man, showing mercy to this man, this is more important. Either way, he prioritized the right thing. Now, if we just left the parable here, That'd be fine, right? It's a great lesson. It's a good lesson for all of us. Be kind. Take the time. Care for people. Be a good neighbor. But this is not the whole point of this passage. This is just the parable Jesus told. But remember, it was housed in a bigger conversation that came before it and after it. It started because a lawyer asked Jesus this question, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Now let's pause for a moment to talk about a lawyer. It's not lawyers the way we understand them today. The actual um, concept of a lawyer back then was a scribe, a person who wrote down all of the Jewish laws. So this was a person who was an expert in the religious laws of the day. So he was knowledgeable, he was smart, he clearly liked to argue like maybe some lawyers that we know, but it wasn't kind of the typical lawyer that we assume. It was a scribe. He's a guy who was really, really competent in scriptural understanding he said what do I need to do to inherit eternal life and Jesus says what does the law say and the guy repeats it and Jesus is like yep that's it you're right but then the Bible tells us that wanting to justify himself he asked Jesus and who is my neighbor so he knew he knew that he's supposed to love his neighbor he knew what the law said but what he really wanted to know is who do I have to love according to the letter of the law I imagine that for this lawyer, for this scribe, it was probably easy for him to love his literal neighbors. Maybe they were annoying sometimes, but for the most part, it was probably easy. It was probably easy for him to love his coworkers or to love his in-laws or to be kind to the people that he sees in the grocery store or walking down the street. That was probably not difficult for this man who was a scribe who was surrounded by all of these fellow Jews. So he wanted to justify himself and said, so Exactly who is my neighbor? One of the things that has always bothered me about this passage that I've always wondered is why did Jesus tell the story the way he did? Like, 
Jesus could have said, a man was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. He got beat up by robbers. He was left for dead. And then a Samaritan walked by and stepped to the other side of the road. And then a second Samaritan walked by and stepped to the other side of the road. And then a Jewish man came along and saw his wounds and took care of him and took him back to the inn. Isn't that the exact same point? If all we look at with the parable of the Good Samaritan is to be kind to our neighbor, then Jesus could have, told, could have, could have told the story like that. And the Jew could have been the one instead of the Samaritan. So I have to ask myself, why didn't he do that? Why did he flip this story on its head? And I think he did it to expose the lawyer's own biases. Because the lawyer believed, and probably the whole crowd around him believed, that no Samaritan would ever do that good thing. They already believed that they were the righteous ones. They already believed that they were the holy ones. They already believed that they were the ones who knew God. So it would make sense that the Jew would be the one to stop and help. But a Samaritan? No, 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 no. And I can imagine when he said the word Samaritan, just everybody went. Because Jesus, don't you know who the Samaritans are? Don't you know what they stand for? Don't you know what they believe? Don't you know about these, this battle that we've been having? Don't you know that they're different than us? How could you assume? How could you even suggest that it would be a Samaritan who helped? I think Jesus knew that the Samaritans were so other for the Jews. They were so the opposite. The people that I do not want to associate with. The people that I do not think there's anything good in them. So Jesus first exposes the man's own biases. His own blind spots in this love that he presumes to have. But Jesus also insinuates that there can be goodness and holiness and righteousness from places that we think it can't come. From places that the Jews think it can't come. This was so evident that when Jesus asks, he tells the parable and he says, which of these three was the neighbor to the one who fell on the side of the road? The scribe, the lawyer, he couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. He couldn't even bring himself to admit that that's who it was. His answer is the one who showed him mercy. Because even admitting that it was a Samaritan, that, would, that was really hard. So he gave the right answer, but it exposed something in him. And as I think about God's expanding love to the world, hang on, we're going to get to that in a second. As I think about God's expanding love to the world, I think, who are the others in our lives? Who are the people that we do not want to associate with? Who are the people that we would bristle if anybody ever assumed we were one of them? I gave you a really shallow, silly example of it earlier. But who else is it? In an election year, maybe for you it's the Democrats. There's nothing good in those Democrats. They don't want good for our country. There's nothing good about them. Or maybe for you, it's the Republicans. There's nothing good in those Republicans. They don't want what's best for our country. There's nothing good in them. Right now, we're drawing a lot of lines in our country. But maybe it's other things too. One of the ways that one biblical scholar said that we can really try to use to grasp how offensive this story would have been for the modern day, for the hearers back then. I'm gonna read this because I see that it's a little bit difficult. 
Here's what she said. Her name is Amy Jill Levine. And she said, to hear this parable in contemporary terms, we should think of ourselves as the person in the ditch. And then ask, is there anyone from any group about whom we would rather die than acknowledge she offered me help or he showed compassion? Or more, is there any group whose members might rather die than help us? If so, we know how to find the modern equivalent for the Samaritan. We're Americans in this room. So I wonder if some of us think of Muslims. When we think of security at our borders, I wonder if we think of immigrants as the other. When we think of the coronavirus, I wonder if we think of Asians as the other. I wonder if we think of homosexuals as the other. I wonder if we think of millennials as the other. I wonder if millennials think of the greatest generation as the other. I think for all of us, it might be different. I've got it too. I told the high schoolers, we kind of talked about my sermon before we were going to do it. I told the high schoolers in Sunday school today, here's who my other is. I'm not sure I should tell all of you in front of this, in front of this crowd. The high schoolers still love me, so we can discuss it personally. But I have them. I know I have these biases, and it is not right. And as we enter this season of Lent, as we enter the season that reminds us that God came for the world, God's expanding love to the entire world, it includes that other. It includes my other. So what I want you guys to do right now is pull out that card that we passed out earlier. Who is your other? Who is it for you? Who is the person, maybe you can think of it like this, I would be mortified if I was ever associated with those people. I wonder if I was dead in a ditch, if those people would ever come help me. Who are those people to you? Maybe it's an individual. Or maybe it's a group, but I want you to write it down. When Jesus said the Samaritan to the scribe, it was a jolting thing. It was a jarring thing. And when I was preparing this sermon, it was jarring for me to ask myself that question. Who is my other? If I were dead in a ditch or dying in a ditch, who would I not know if I really wanted them to help me or not? And do I have that? And it took some vulnerability even in myself to be able to find who that was and to admit to myself that I still had that. Here's the thing. The scribe wanted to know, but who is my neighbor, right? The Bible tells us that he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to justify who he had to love and who he didn't because just give me the letter of the law and who is my neighbor and I'll make sure I love them. I'm not sure we do that. I feel like especially here at Chandler, Sean talks all the time about how we are called to love the world, about how we are called as Christians to love everyone. I don't think that's hard for us. I don't think any of us are saying, okay, but who am I supposed to love? But when I did my own self-examination of reading this passage, I realized what I do, and maybe you do it too, is justify, okay, but how do I love them? What exactly does it mean to love? Like, I get that I'm supposed to love everybody. But what does love mean? Does love mean that I have to be kind to them? Does love mean that I have to think good thoughts about them? Does love mean that I need to be friends with them? We're not asking who is our neighbor, but we might be asking, but by love, you mean speak truth, right? Tell them. Tell them where they're wrong. 
I love 1 Corinthians 13. I get frustrated that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is mostly used in weddings because it's actually for the entire body of Christ for all time. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. It isn't rude. When we're asking, how do I love? Ask ourselves that. Am I patient to my grandparents? My dad hates millennials. He hates them. He's told me, I'm a millennial, y'all. I'm like, dad, you're talking about me. He's like, ah, but you're different. (laughs) No, I'm not. (laughs) I'm just as annoying as all those other kids that you go to church with, I promise. Um, Am I loving them? Am I loving with a scriptural, biblical love that is kind and keeps no record of wrongs and isn't proud and isn't rude? If I'm going to be real honest with my other, I do not love them like that. I think I'm right. I think they're wrong. I don't think these things about them. When we are called as followers of Christ, we are called to love the people that Christ loves. And we are called to love in the way that scripture tells us to love. Here's the other thing. Something really important that I think I should remind us of. And I'm going to go back because I didn't have a slide for this. This is my favorite. When you look at this, a priest was going down and a Levi was going down, right? They both saw him. The scripture says when the priest saw him, he stepped to the other side of the road. When the Levite saw him, he stepped to the other side of the road. When the Samaritan saw him and was moved to pity, he came near. He was probably just as close to this man as the priest or the Levite who see him and get as far away as they can. This guy sees him and instead of going further away, he gets closer to him. And when I think about the others, whoever the other is in my own life, I think, do I draw close to them? Do I hear their stories? Do I listen to their side? Am I patient with them because love is patient? I think good Samaritan has been misused because like if you stop on the side of the road and help somebody change their tire, like, oh, what a good Samaritan you are. And yes, that's a very kind thing to do and we should all do it. But this parable is deeper than that. This parable is about love across boundary lines. This is about love even when we disagree. Sometimes we think, especially in churches, that in order to be a family, we have to be exactly the same and think exactly the same way. And we have confused uniformity With unity. Unity says, I can disagree with you and love you. I can disagree with you and sit down at a table in our fellowship hall and break bread together and eat Miss Ann's fried chicken and we can enjoy one another even if we wholeheartedly disagree. We are called to love across boundaries. We are called to love across these things that separate us. That's God's expanding love for the world. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do. As we look at that card in our hands, as we look at that other, I want you to say a prayer over that card. To pray that God opens your eyes and helps you come near and helps us learn how to love the other. Please don't think that I'm telling you to do this because I'm telling myself to do this as well. And Tamara's going to come up and she's going to play a song. And what I'm going to ask us to do is for Lent, we've got tape on our cross. I'm going to ask you to come put your card up here on this cross. Any one of the pieces of tape. And we're going to leave it here for a little while. And we're going to do some other things with it. And there's going to be no judgment. 
I know what I'm asking you to do is a really vulnerable thing. And I know for each of us, whoever that other is, whatever we wrote on that card, it's going to be different for all of us. And that's beautiful because we are trying to be people who is united, not uniform. And we are trying to be people that even in our differences, we want to love each other well and we want to love the world well. So let's start with this today, okay? As Tamara plays, you can come stick them up on the cross. If mobility is an issue for you, raise your hand and one of our high schoolers will come pick up your card for you and they'll come put it on the cross for you. Um, I know somebody just came up here with tears in their eyes and showed me their card and said, how am I supposed to love these people? And looking at her card, I don't know. (laughs) This is not an easy thing. When I was in high school, I was in an organization where I was one of only two or three Christians in the whole place. And I remember somebody who was very anti-Christian saying, I feel like your Christianity is a cop-out. Like it's a crutch for you to live your life. So you don't take any blame on yourself. You can blame everything on God. And I think when I think about doing this, when I think about loving across lines and across boundaries, that is not a crutch. That is hard. Living the Christian life is not a cop-out. Living the Christian life the way Jesus calls us to is a beautiful calling that we aspire to. And it's difficult to do what the Samaritan did and let go of myself and my time and my energy and my belief in right and wrong and choose to love across boundary lines the way God calls us to. We're going to keep talking for the whole rest of Lent about how we love, about God's expanding love for the world. And we're going to keep praying over these things. And I'm so grateful that you all joined me here today. And I'm going to make a, I'm going to pray over this cross right now. And then Tamara's going to lead us in our closing song. Would you bow your heads with me, please? God, we lift these others up to you right now. God, we have a hard time loving them. We have a hard time loving them the way we know you are called, you are calling us to love them. And I pray, Father, as we practice these next 40 or so days of Lent, as we practice an emptying of ourselves the way you emptied yours, that we would pray for these people that we would pray for these others, that we would remember that you love them and that we are called to love them and that you would help us understand what that looks like. Thank you for crossing boundary lines to come to us. Your scripture says that when we were still enemies of God, you came down and you died for us. If you did that for us, then we can do it for them. But we need your help. Holy Spirit, fill us up and give us help to love the way you have called us to love. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.